Tofano, welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation. Thank you so much for joining us again. Um, I was a little Britondon in the 1980s and I uh, loved cricket, probably more than rugby. Actually, cricket was probably my, my first sport. Probably now was a kind of a, a couch potato, a, a, a whatever they call them, a couch convert. Um, I'm probably more a rugby watcher than a cricket watcher, but certainly when I was a little fella, um, cricket was my number one. Some very, very um, big names from the world of New Zealand cricket were my idols and my heroes. And one of the people that certainly was involved in that whole world was wicketkeeper Warren Lees. I was excited to hear in the last few weeks that Warren Lees was going to be a um, spokesperson is the right word, isn't it? Ambassador for the Masters Games that's currently happening in Dunedin as we record this podcast. And so I had to reach out and I just got about, what was it, just hour and 20, give or take, to spend with Warren um, Surprisingly, you know how this podcast goes, we talk about whatever comes up, but actually probably 80% is a chat about cricket. Now, if you're not a fan of cricket, I've probably just turned off the podcast, but there's lots of interesting information in there as well, including some really interesting insights into that infamous underarm bowling incident with Australia where Warren Lees was in the squad for that, so was in the dressing room. So make sure you listen out for that bit. But if you're a fan of cricket and good conversations, then enjoy Warren Lees. There you go. We're into it with Warren Lees. Hello, thank you for coming in. Well, thanks very much. I haven't been in here before and <laughs> I'm looking forward to the experience probably. I have to say, um, my dad in the 1980s sold insurance and did a bunch of things. Good old Catholic boy, Hibernian society, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he had a few contacts with the New Zealand cricket team. So as a young fella, I'm a 1973 model. So, you know, in that kind of 80s was my... my yeah, yeah. Very. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it doesn't feel it when you look <laughs> at the grey in the beard. Um, formative years. So Martin Sneddon was one of his clients and Martin Crow was one of his, uh, someone he worked with on a business initiative yeah. and stuff. So for me, the sort of, I guess, late 70s through late 80s is my complete, you know, these are where the gods of cricket were for me up, upcoming. So you sit in there. So I'm really excited to talk to you today as, you know, someone I watched on the telly when I was a young fella and looked up to and thought, these are the guys I want to be one day. So it's exciting. I'm excited. So I'm actually lucky to be here because I'm non-Catholic, you see. So yeah, I feel okay. as though it's quite special You've for broken you. through the old boys' network, have you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, on Sunday mornings, I was probably quite tired. Some of them got up and went away to church, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, well, I didn't. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's great. It's great. I remember doing... Um, ex- I remember at um, primary school, I can't remember what it was about, but doing a, a project and it ended up, the, the, the subject matter was the New Zealand cricket team. And I right. and I still remember drawing all their names in this big, uh, what do they call it, Jace cartridge paper? Those big white bits of paper like that when you're at school, is it cartridge paper? Yeah. And I remember writing all the names of it and I remember writing Terry Wright and then a little speech bubble and I wrote wrong. So I don't know why, but that made my teacher laugh. Oh, because you deliberately put one of the... I yeah. thought it was a joke, you know, right yeah. and wrong. That's comedy for like a nine-year-old. See, Terry, Terry Wright could get in the current team, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Did I say Terry Wright? I mean John Wright. Yes, well, I thought yeah. I thought that. But Sorry, he, did I say Terry Wright? You did I'm say, thinking but, all blacks. But even Terry Wright could get in there. They're probably in, in there the now. Team, yeah, that's you're right. right. Yeah. And I remember Dad managed to record a conversation with Martin Sneddon, and, and that I can't even remember what it was about, but that was a part of my kind of overall project. And So, yeah, so cricket in the 70s, 80s is a huge part of my you know formative life, so I'm very, very excited to have you in. Well, that's two of us because cricket was quite a big part of my life during those years as well. I was really interested to see that you got your MBE in 1989. Yeah. 
like as, as I say this out loud, it's not supposed to sound disrespectful, but that seems very early in a career for services to cricket. Like often someone will play cricket their whole life, coach cricket, and then sort of at the end they get the award. But was it quite, did it feel quite early for you to get it? Yes, in a way I was surprised, and, and most people are, but but um, there is an explanation behind it. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> And it was it was it was mainly for cricket, but the actual award was given for uh, for um, services to cricket and the community. Okay. And I did speak to people who had spoken, I guess, or written on my behalf. Because you need to, you get nominated. Yes, you do. And you, then you get approached to say, "Would you accept it?" Is yeah, that but, right? But, but the people who nominated you, yeah. they needed I don't know twelve or fifteen people. So okay. Was, so, the, so someone supported me from somewhere. Yeah. And I suppose in those days, um, in a small in a smaller city. You're more recognisable than than perhaps you are in the, in, in the Aucklands. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean. And 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 that was something that affected most of the people who came from the, the smaller places because you became a big fish in, in a small pond. Right, right. right. Um, I spoke at, at just about every um, community organisation you could think of, and, yeah. and and some of them two or three times. Right. So, so there was the Rotary and there's the Round Table and there's the Lions and all those sort of things. So, and I went. All around Otago and South, and if they rang, I never said no. Right. I thought because it was a charitable sort of event, a uh, charitable group, yep. community group, and I got reasonably well known for doing that, and people used to say, God, you just front up in different places. You're in Winton, you're in Kurau. And that was the community side of it. And I never joined any of those clubs, mm-hmm. but I felt as if I was doing my community service by entertaining them or, right. or, or doing that sort of thing. Um, it's another thing that about those awards it, it amazes me because and, and things have changed and I, I don't know that everyone agrees with me over this but I, I'm quite strong about this if it was a community award or if it was services too yeah. it was actually for hands on services too right so I was a, a Hellberg trustee in those days and, and I can remember getting in the pool with the physically disabled right, and, and, wow. and doing things and it's always hurt me a wee bit because I used to think that all the people who got community awards mm. had done their community service. Right. None of those people ever paid for the award. Right. Paid in blood and sweat and tears. Well, you mean, that's what we paid in. Yeah, yeah. These days, you see people, the rich and famous, yeah, yeah. get awards and they've never even spoken to some of these people, but they've written out a cheque. I, I always kind of think that about, I mean, up to, up to including knighthood sort of thing, the people who, like if you if you're... If your job, quote unquote job, yes. or if your vo- let's say vocation, yes, because sometimes it might not be paid, but if that gives you an amount of let's say fame and money, then that's part of the reward. I like to see the MBEs, the knighthoods that go to the people who you haven't heard of so much, but they've been working for the Deaf Foundation or whatever it is exactly. for sixty years. Well, I've always thought that. I've, I've always, and I've never, you know, complained about it or anything, but I. It just amazed me. I read them every time, as we all do. Yeah. When you go down, how many are from the Otago, and <laughs> how many people are look at all the sporting ones. But but it's always just annoyed me a little bit that the mm. number of people now getting the awards are the names you know even beforehand. Yeah, but I do especially like, the top ones like the, yeah. the knighthoods in there. But I like reading the awards where and there's a wee bit in the in the newspaper. There was always an explanation, and and you see the lady who in. Say Kura, that's just an example. But I mean, the lady who's worked with writing for the disabled or yeah. whatever it is, and she's done it for 25 years and she's never made any money, never been paid anything, that's community service. Yeah, yeah. Community service is not the $10,000 check you gave someone. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a completely different thing, it's a commercial thing. 
And it's, it's just something that's it's always stuck in my throat a wee bit. It's interesting you would use the word commercial because you think about those sorts of um, like Queen's Birthday honours yeah. as being the opposite of commercial. So, yeah, exactly. writing a cheque. You shouldn't be able to buy one. I mean, I'm not I'm not putting this out there to be critical of a political party, but like the Sir John Keys seems to be a, you know, a done deal. You know, it's like no matter what happened during that tenure, no matter how good or bad, let's not even say John Key, but that politician was for the country, you know, whether it's a Sir yeah. Winston Peters or a, or a Dame um, Jacinda Ardern or whatever, no matter how good or bad the country has done under them, it's a given. They've done that so they get this automatically. Exactly. It's yeah. almost like uh, it's a right. Yeah. If, if you're here for five years, that's what you're going to get at the end of it, no matter what. I mean, and, and I'm not criticising all those people. Mm. It's, not their, it's not their choice. They, they, they offer it. Or, well, they, but there is a choice for that. I certainly know for the knighthoods, they approach you because they want to know if you're going to decline it. And if you decline it, they don't do it. So there is an element. I don't know if oh, it's yeah. the same for the MBE, but certainly for those top ones, yeah. you need to say, yes, I'll accept it. But however, I, I, yes, you're right. We're starting to go back to the original thing. Yeah. 1989, and I guess at that stage, that was the end of a playing career. Yep. Um, it was only the start of my, my speaking engagements. but uh, And there was more cricket to come, and I didn't know mm. that. I, w- w- once I was finished playing, I thought that was the end of it. And it yeah. was a, quite a sad Warren Lees for, for 18 months thinking... Oh, that was it. You know, it was, it was great fun while it lasted, and now it's all over. Because uh, you were in the test team from like 79 to 83-ish. Was that about right? Like was, like as the premier, and then that horrible Ian Smith came along and thought, I'll take this job. Oh, there were lots of horrible. Don't worry about that. There were, there were other horribles came along in between time. I started in 76 and went, okay. to, and went to Pakistan and a disastrous tour. We, we couldn't play, but fortunately I got some runs in one game and yeah. all of a sudden I was, a, I was a hero, but it only lasted 24 hours. I was back to the normal person after that. Um and I played to 83, but in between times, I didn't play all the time. Mm. Um, so there was Jockey Woods from uh, Nelson. Right. Uh, there was Peter Webb came from uh, Auckland. Uh, right. there, were, there were other people came and, and sort of took my place at yep. different times. But I was sort of basically with the team on and off that whole time. Uh, I was, it was one of those careers that is a funny thing, really. I, I, I love playing first-class cricket for Otago. Right. And I was extremely confident and I was very happy in that environment. It was a family group, and we had some very successful years. And and people perform their best when they're at their happiest and most yeah. relaxed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the same in life. I mean, same as jobs, exactly. same as whatever they're exactly. doing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then occasionally they'd say, you're in the New Zealand team and we're playing the first test against Pakistan or whatever it was going to be at Eden Park. Absolutely uncomfortable. Right. As soon as it, as soon as it, it stretched me to the next level, and, and I've, I've always had a theory about this, not many players from Otago and Southland mm. who joined the cricket team during my time could I have called normal. It's a strange thing. Mm. When I say normal, I look at some of the players who joined the New Zealand team from Canterbury or Wellington or, or even Northern Districts and they just fitted in like a glove. They, they were new to the team and they went straight into the team, they sat in the dressing room, they knew people, they were confident mm-hmm. uh, and, and you could tell they were going to perform reasonably well. Most of the people who came from further south, because it's a lifestyle change. Yeah. And, of course, I was proud to be selected, and so was my mother, and so was my <laughs> wife or whatever. When your name comes out, you, yep. and there is a time in your life where you actually like to be liked. Yeah, of course. And there are other times in your life where you want to be rather anonymous, you know. But, but when you get picked in those teams, you, you are quite excited. There's, you cannot hide the fact. But going to the actual test match in Christchurch or be it Wellington or wherever – 
was almost a step too far. Right. And I never, ever, apart from that very young, cheeky, long-haired, cigarette-smoking kid who was in Pakistan yeah. in 1976, apart from that time, I I always felt like I was underdone. I wasn't ready, um, not not just to play test cricket, but even to be in that environment. Is it because when you talk about like the family-run affair in Otago was – was the culture so different? As when you say they were a bit weird, it was we're like friends. the the culture so different between the you know the Otago culture to the New Zealand culture yep. that it was just I don't know it was like going in there and speaking another language, like being a full immersion student Absolute, all of a sudden. Absolutely, uh, it was it was such a strange uh, environment for me to, for me to walk into. Things like, where are we going for a drink tonight? I will go to this lounge bar, and when you go to this lounge bar. The guys were drinking gin and tonic. Yeah. I'd never had a spirit in my life. You wanted a spades. If it wasn't brown and in a jug, <laughs> I couldn't drink it. I mean, and people say, well, that didn't matter. Yes, it actually did. Yes, yeah. it actually did because it made you feel like you were so unused to it. Um, I mean, I. Was it an element, and, and we don't really have this in New Zealand, but did it feel like an element of class? Like the posh blokes having the the GNT, the the lesser blokes having a having a pint. Yeah, people. If, if people are listening or watching this, they'll probably think I'm, I'm a bit critical. But um, <laughs> we haven't even I, started yet. Why should we talk about this cricket team? Well, current, I to, current lot. <laughs> well, I used to laugh about. I did. I used to openly laugh about the the Auckland players. Mm-hmm. They came to the ground in in their sports car. Yep. Uh, most had blonde wives. Um, not that there's anything against or for or against that. I'm not, I'm not complaining. But um, some of them wore cravats. Really? A cravat. I thought it was like a, th- a handkerchief. I mean, seriously. Wow. Uh, they always had impeccable gear. And I had an old pair of shoes with my toe poking out the end. You know, yeah. New bats every year. Yeah. I uh, remember when Auckland was uh, sponsored by Old Spice mm. way back in the day. And... We didn't have we, we didn't even know about sponsorship in Dunedin in those days and, and we'd just gather our gear together and you'd know, almost take it to the ground in a sack. Not quite, but so we used to we, we used to laugh about further north. It was actually a strange thing and it became a way of motivating people because the little brother down south, yeah. the poor brother down yeah, south. Yeah, yeah. So we used that as a motivation. It's not always a good motivation because yeah. there's a negative element to that. But it was like, we'll beat the big rich boys up north. And yeah. you didn't beat them often, but if you beat them one time in five, mm-hmm. it was like winning the World Cup. It does, there does seem to be some parallels to rugby in that as well. I mean, you think about especially yeah. in the 80s. I remember sitting at Eden Park, I've told this story before, and the Auckland rugby team with those superstars yeah. – being so arrogant. I laugh about it because it is pretty funny when you think about it from a fan's point of view. I, I can remember sitting in that st- those stands as like a 10, 12, 14-year-old and having the announcer come across at Eden Park. I can't remember what the team was. Let's say it was Manawatu. Yeah. And playing Auckland today, Manawatu. Thanks for coming, Manawatu. We need the practice. Exactly- that was literally what was being said by the announcer. So it sounds like, but, but with that money and with that, uh, you know, the, the more um, resource came the results. And I wonder now, you think about, like, well, let's look at Brendan McCullum, you know, Otago player, probably one of the best moneyed players in the world, especially from a New Zealand point of view. Yeah. And I wonder if with that money now coming through the country, it levels that playing field for resource and maybe it doesn't create that different culture between teams so much. Yeah, perhaps so. But I mean, I've always. Doesn't mean it's this- better, just means maybe it doesn't yeah. change it. I've always had this this theory, you know. I've noticed it in sport, mm. and I've noticed it even in life. 
I think New Zealand's a strange country, the way we, we, we react to each other. Yeah. And I think that the further south in the country you live, the bigger chips on your shoulder. So Wellington, I always used to think, and I, and, and I can talk about the cricket, but I can't talk about the other sports so much, but the Wellington people didn't really like the Auckland people at all. Who did? Well, it was just one of those things, but it, but, but it gets worse than what I've just said because the Canterbury people didn't like the Wellington or the Auckland people right? or the Hamilton people. Well, isn't that that famous so, saying that, that, like, you know, I support whatever my team is and anyone playing Auckland? Yeah, well, so yeah. as you go down the country, you've got more people to dislike. Yeah. You see, so Wellington only basically disliked Auckland, but, yeah, yeah. but Canterbury liked, well, disliked Wellington and yeah, Auckland. Yeah, yeah. Dunedin people hated just like everyone. <laughs> every, everyone north of the Waitaki. We hate a lot. And not, when I say we hate them, we don't actually hate them, but, but we felt as if we were competing against all of those people. Yeah. And it's the further south you go, and as I say, the bigger chip on your shoulder about life, and that's not just sport. I, I, I don't, it's, it's sort of like a jealousy in a strange way. Well, they, ha- well, having moved to Dunedin from Auckland about five years ago, right. I kind of a little bit can see what you're saying. I remember oh, yeah, yeah. we got off the ferry in the South Island. The very first person was a woman at, at the supermarket. We stopped and took the kids into the supermarket, yeah. got some food once we'd got off the off the ferry, so it was picked in. Uh, happened to have a woman in the street say, oh, talking to the kids, you know, nice, friendly South yeah. Island. What are you guys up to? And they're like, oh, you know, we're just we're moving to Dunedin from Auckland. And... The amount of vitriol she threw at Auckland, like obviously yeah. to a kid-appropriate level, but basically going, oh, you've been saved. And you're so <laughs> lucky to get out. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. I laughed I so hard because I was literally the first person on the trip down to speak to in the yeah. South Island yeah. was just like, those bastards, you know, on a, on, a, on a lower level. It is funny because when can, we played, we, we turned that into a motivation. So, yeah. and, and we started off talking about the Otago Culture in the in the family. We're a smaller town, so all our wives knew each other. All all the little kids yep. that we had all played together. They yeah, all went cool. to the ground. When we used to play in Alexandra, the whole team would go there, and and families, right. and, and and be put up in a motel for a week while we played three one day games or nice. something. So, and even in the mornings, I can remember Stephen Bock and I going down to fill the paddling pools on the on the boundary, <laughs> then going back for breakfast because we couldn't go to cricket until all the kids were looked after. So we it became a, a bit of a family thing, and. During the winter, we'd all go to watch the rugby together. Mm. When you're in a big city, being being Auckland or Sydney or Melbourne or wherever, yeah. you only see, in those days, you only saw your your, your players, your teammates, at cricket or at practice. Yeah, yeah. You had nothing to do with them outside there. So it was easy to, to get a group feeling about it. So you, you grow your own culture that mm. way. And for a short time, we, I don't know, four years, I suppose, or four seasons, we, we had a very, very strong team. Not a lot of New Zealand players, but everyone was performing above themselves. Okay, uh, above the skill level they brought to the team, they played. Uh, they played better than that because they were happy. Right. They didn't care who they sat with on the plane. Mm-hmm. They sat with everyone. They didn't care who they sat beside in the dressing room. And people didn't have their own place. So no clicks. There were no clicks. There yeah. were absolutely none. And it was quite open. Not, not always. Not always working well. But you, you would sort those things out. Yeah. It was just a great environment. It really was. And it's something that, I mean, it was, you, you possibly, people will say you're a bit cheeky to say this, but I enjoyed playing for Otago a lot more than I enjoyed playing for New Zealand. No, I, even, I, even though you felt good about it. I understand it, but, that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are people who, 
who talk about playing for their high school team better than their the yeah. college team or their their club side more yeah. so than their provincial side and all yeah. sorts of sports. Jace, you're going to jump in. You have something to add, sir? I know it was just about the whole Auckland Dunedin hatred because you know being a boy that's I grew up in Dunedin, so I mm-hmm. I grew up here and then when I was 18 I left. And so I moved to Wellington. I was in Wellington for eight years, and and then I was moved from Wellington to Auckland. And I was in Auckland for seven or eight years as well. And I remember very distinctly a similar story to Pat in a way. We're not quite. It's <laughs> right at the opposite actually, but being you know because we're bred, we're bred to hate. Like it's I can understand it. I can understand systemic racism most important point of view because <laughs> we're bred to hate anybody north of of the yeah, you know we you know we dislike Christchurch. We kind yeah. of we dislike. We don't really like Wellington, and we hate Auckland. Yeah. Um, and I lived in Auckland. I moved to Auckland, and always swore, you know, that Jaffa would, the F and Jaffa would never stand for friendly, which, which the Aucklanders make lead the ledger to believe. Um, and I remember, anyway, um, a bunch of me, me and some mates went on a trip to, oh, I think it was Taupo or something like that. We went, and we were looking, we wanted to go on a bushwalk somewhere, and so we went to the information centre and said, "Oh, can we get a map?" And the lady's like, oh, yeah, cool, here's a map. Um, these are some of the great walks. And there's like, you know, and she, oh, she said, oh, so where are you guys from? And I'm like, oh, we're from Auckland. And she literally said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh, and all, all of a sudden I was on the receiving end of the hatred that yeah. I had been brought up to extend yeah. towards the North Island. It was, it's always a bit tongue-in-cheek. Some people take it way more seriously. But it's yeah, always it a bit tongue-in-cheek. It is weird. But it's, 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 it's just such a weird, I think every, every country has it in the world. Like it's either the South, you either hate the South or you hate the North. And it's also reciprocal, I think, you know, Aucklanders, I remember having this conversation with my wife as well, because she's an Aucklander, and... Oh, but you saved her from it. I saved her from it, yeah. Exactly. Um, And she kind of basically said, you know, well, Aucklanders don't really even think about the rest of the country. That's exactly what I was about to add. They don't even think about the rest of the country. They don't care what the rest of the country thinks No, in fact, and that that brings us to start thinking they only think about themselves. Yeah. Actually, well, uh, there is a there is a saying in Auckland that New Zealand finishes at the Bombay Hills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. South of the Bombay is. But yeah, while exactly. we while we criticise, you know, and, and and it's easy to do that. Some of my very best friends in in sport, yeah, actually individually live in Auckland, and yeah. they are. And Martin Sneds a hell of an old. He doesn't live there now, but 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 Gary Troop was a great guy that, uh, that still is, member. and and I really enjoyed his company, and he's one of my best friends in, in sport. So. It was easy, you know. When you talk about the rugby team, that you, yeah, yeah. You, which was Fitzpatrick's team, you know that. that yeah, team, yeah, yeah. Didn't the whole country just absolutely want them to lose? Yeah, it was of just course. Amazing. But they're actually nice guys. Yeah, yeah. And and if you if you went and had a well, beer with of one of them, well, I, I think they probably were individually. But but it was just that you, you need to have that competitive spirit. We all yeah. we all have it. It's, it's like the Canterbury rugby, you know, the Crusaders. Um, bloody good players yeah. and a great organisation Canterbury Rugby is mm. probably the, the lead organisation of all the sporting groups in New Zealand yeah if not one of the lead professional but, teams in the world but, the what, but what we really want is we want them to lose don't we it's a funny thing we, it, you know what it, it depends it depends if the final's against the Lions from South Africa no I want them to win if it's against the Highlanders yeah I want them to yeah. lose so there is a little bit of that as well because what, what I find interesting is it's this um, I'm going to use the word competitiveness rather than hatred but then competitiveness with your big brother rights we do it to australia but then actually when that one you compete with needs your support so let's say australia's playing england in the final of the rugby world cup then new zealand is primarily going go australia but if you know it's new zealand playing you know what i mean so i I think there's an element of 
it is that big brother, you know, you, you you fight with your big brother in the playground and at home and stuff, but then when your big brother makes the first 15 or the first 11, you're proud, you're proud as punch. Yeah, you are, but, yeah. You, but you wouldn't tell anyone. The other no, thing no. is <laughs> we, we still have a little bit of tall poppy, don't we, though? Totally. And, and tall poppy can be over a team situation or it can be over individuals because I've seen that. I've seen, the, I've seen the tall poppy thing really affect individuals, as in poor old the late Martin Crow. I mean, mm. God, he was a good player. And by God, he was a, a serious cricketer. And I was fortunate to be the coach when he was the captain, you see. So right. I, I got very close. And yet I, I, it really hurt me so much to hear people wanting him to fail. How the hell would they do that? It used to just amaze me. That, and he was by far our best cricketer. And at that stage, you know, probably but, one of the best cricketers in the world. And potentially, if you think about it from a batsman's point of view, still one of our best, yeah, if but, not our best. And, and But when when they get up there on that pedestal, yeah. all we, we, we want to put them on the pedestal, some of those players. Richard Hatton's a good example too. Yeah. I mean, he fought, he, 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 he really did, fought himself and he trained and he, he, he honed his skills and he became the best, all right? Mm. So we wanted to lift him up on the pedestal and we used to think that's our Richard or that's our Martin Crow. Once they got up there, mm. the stories you hear third yeah. hand are all about knocking them down again. Yeah, how dare you put yourself on a pedestal? Hang that's on, what, I didn't put myself up But it there. ends up that if you keep putting people on a pedestal, they believe that they own the pedestal. Yeah. So what we do is we say, well, no, you don't. We're going to cut you off that. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? Martin Crow also, uh, one of the loveliest men in yeah. the world, so uh, when I was, a, I went to, I went to two secondary schools in Auckland, St Peter's College in Epsom, then went to Sacred Heart College in um, Glen, uh, Glen, GI, Glen Innes, no. Catholic school was. Um, and I want to know why you had to leave the first. Oh, oh because no, I, I don't have to go. Uh, I, I can tell you. I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, when I went to St Peter's in Kaiba Pass, there in Central Auckland, there was a gym called the Institute of Sport. Right, a gym. He was very big in the 80s with uh, new methods of training and that sort of right. stuff. Gosh, what was his name? Anyway, Institute of Sport. And it was where Martin Crow went. And my dad had some dealings with Martin Crow for a business interest in Fiji. Martin Crow still used to love going there and they had yep. a connection. Yep. Um, and I was at the gym often playing rugby or cricket or whatever and going to the gym as well as probably a 14-year-old. Every time, this greatest batsman in the world, the was person there. I looked up to, would, would come over mm. and talk to me. And I was like, what the, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? But he didn't need to. And I mean, like, I, uh, he was an idol. Obviously, he was an idol of mine. I was a cricketer and a batsman and that sort of stuff. And he would come during his gym session and talk to me at the Institute of Sport. And just, I just blew my brain. Just, just this nice, lovely guy. People didn't understand him, did they? No. And they, I mean, I didn't, didn't know him, know him, him, but just what I saw in that. But then you could say the same. My, my again, talk about, this is like an ode to my father, this podcast. That's right. Um, he was president of the Auckland Rugby Referees Association. So we went to quite a lot of the aftermatch functions yep. with, if a game played at Eden Park, so be it Auckland or the All Blacks. And all the guys there, lovely. I mean, I, there's a couple who weren't, but mostly all lovely guys. I mean, Michael Jones is an example of that. When my dad turned 60, um, I was working in radio at the time, so I was lucky enough to be able to, mm. you know, you make contacts, you have a bit of a black book. Yeah. Got a hold of Michael, and he, I think, gave my dad a training jacket because he's my dad would be like the best player there's ever been, Michael Jones, no question. He signed a birthday card for me, you know, and, yeah. we, and I gave it to him. Just, you know, lovely people. Re- and, and, and I think the Peter Stool thing, um, I think there are – People who are, when I say worthy of being put on a pedestal, not because they're better than, but 
for their sporting prowess. Michael Jordan deserved, uh, deserves to be considered mm-hmm. above everybody mm-hmm. else when it comes to basketball. Mm-hmm. Maybe when it comes to managing money and gambling, not so much. But for basketball, you know, Michael Jones probably for rugby, but also he's done a lot for the community as well. Well, yeah, that's that's what really that's how I like judging the people is yeah. are they still nice people? Yeah, and and, and most. People who represent New Zealand, or we'll get to that level, no yep. matter what sport it is, they're still deep down nice people, and they still have wheat bix for breakfast, just like <laughs> you or I. You know yep. what I mean? And and while they've got a skill, and while while they're public, you know, public love to own them at times, but you get them on their own, mm. and like the Martin Crow coming over to you in the gym, you know, what I mean, just a quiet little, how are you getting on, and what have you been doing lately? It's lovely, isn't it? What do you think, though, of um, I mean, that's in a private moment that no one yeah. sees. The tall poppy thing, I remember um, Charles Barkley in the NBA, but certainly Shane Warne, to bring it back to cricket, <laughs> making it very clear that I am not a um, – what's the word I'm looking for, Jace? Someone to be looked up to. I'm not a role model. I'm not a role model. Don't look at my work outside of the – off the field. Um, if you want to emulate me for my sporting ability, that's what I'm here to do. I'm not here to be emulated for – my social life. What do you think about a high-profile athlete with that oh, sort of perspective? That's fine, Shane. You can do that, but you'll never get a Queen Service medal <laughs> from Warren Lees, will you? Okay. You understand what I mean? Yeah. I think, and I he think, may have changed his opinion now oh, 20 exactly. years later, right? Eh? Well, he does seem a bit different now. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But, 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 and you can be um, – it's a funny thing about the, the best, to be the best, because I've, I've thought about this for a long time about uh, world cricketers. Yep. Most of the world, the very best – players in the world were you, you could find selfishness right at the top of the descriptions for them all right the only way to get to the top was to actually drive yourself yeah right and and I, I know by by playing well you're helping your team yeah yeah but it's a funny thing that, that cricket's slightly different to a lot of other sports and in that individually you can just play for yourself but by playing for yourself Normally, you're helping a team an awful lot. I know, I know one day cricket and, and the opening batsman from the five day game doesn't, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. suit the one day game. But, so but, we, but when you use the word selfishness, you're actually meaning they're being selfish, but you're actually using that as a. They are, it's not that they're an implied selfishness, they are being selfish. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's I, like a determination and a drive yes, to the, succeed the, for themselves. Yeah, the, the drive is, but yeah, that's right. The drive, yeah. it's almost when they lift their cricket coffin, you know, as we yeah. used to call them, <laughs> a terrible thing. Uh, there's. In the inside of the top lid, as you lift it up, as you're sitting there, yeah. people used to have little sayings, you know? I thought you were going to say they had their stats, which would be a similar sort of well, thing. Well, similar sort of thing. Yeah. Some people were very much that way. But they would have things about um, um, look, look after your own standards when the rest of the team is falling down. Right. Well, things like that. So, oh, I never had that in mind. Can I just way. suggest that maybe that message is not getting through the current cricketers? <laughs> 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 maybe. Other than Kane Williamson. Who I want to talk about as well shortly. But I remember when I was working for ZB, um, Murray Deeker was still working there. And probably two years before Kane Williamson came onto the like national stage, he was saying, there's a boy out there and he's going to be the best batsman we've ever had in this country. And he was talking about Kane. And he basically talked about because of his um, his precision, his ability and stuff. What do you think? Is he is he fulfilling that prophecy that Deeks put out there? First of all, I just spent. I, I'm pleased you mentioned Murray Deeks because I was in Melbourne for the for the test, yep. the Boxing Day test, and one of the best hours I've spent with anyone. Him and I sat out on the lawn, not watching the cricket for an hour. All right. By God, he knows a lot about sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does, and he knows a lot about life. Yep. 
And and I, I, I've, I've mentioned this to other people, how I saw Murray, I sat down and we had a damn good chat. What a good time it was. But getting on to the Kane Williamson thing, yeah, he's, he's special, isn't he? But, like, you know, will he, at the end of his career, will he be clearly the best ever New Zealand's produced? I don't know that he's particularly self-driven. I, 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 I see him as a really nice, gentle uh, follow me type captain, but do it in my, do it the quiet well, way. Steady the ship. That's his nickname. Yeah. Well, well, that's exactly the sort of thing that he's just one of those guys. And I've said this before. And I've got a lovely son-in-law, by the way. So I'm not criticising my son-in-law, James. <laughs> but he's the sort of person you would love to have as your son-in-law. Yeah. He's just a nice guy. Yeah. And and there was uh, there are a lot of play, players around in the in this current New Zealand team. Yeah. Who are very nice people, nicer publicly than perhaps the team of, say, seven years ago. Interesting. Do uh, you do you think we're missing a bit of that mongrel? Do we need – because if, if Kane Williamson is going to be the nice guy, do we need to have uh, – I was going to say David Boone. Do we need to have uh, – um, what was the bowler from Australia? Big belly, big moustache, handlebars moustache? Murphews. Murphews. The guy that would smack the, the – d- does there need to be no. – do we not have a bit of mongrel at the moment? Is that a necessity – part? is that a – is that a, um, a yep. necessary part of every team to have a bit of mongrel? Yeah, the, the mongrel doesn't have to be seen publicly, right? The, but the mongrel has to be from within, right? And, and strangely enough, I think um, I think Ross Taylor has a wee bit of it at times. Really, from from it's been forced on him, and I, I think he has a determination wow, to prove people wrong. And I think, uh, I think from what happened to him way back, the, the captaincy issues and things mm. like that, w- which was poorly, very, very poorly handled by New Zealand cricket. But um, I think that gave him a bit of a drive, mm. the, the close relationship he had with Martin Crowe. Yeah, I was wondering as well about... Uh, there, was, there was a lesson yeah. to be learned because Martin Crowe had a, a certain drive about the way he played yeah. his game as well. And I think that you, you could call that mongrel right. inside. It's not quite that. It's probably not quite the right word for drive, some players. More drive than more mongrel? More drive, yeah. And, and I think we miss that in the current team because we've got such a wide variety of experiences. Yeah. So we've got some young whippersnappers, if that's yeah. a word. I'm not going to use the names, but you know what I mean. They've, they've, they've arrived on the scene and yeah. here I am. And yeah. I was told when I was 14, I was at uh, Auckland Grammar that I was probably going to play for New Zealand. I'll finally did. And I'm now 21 yeah. and here I am. Yeah. So you get those players. You've got the, 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 the more experienced players who have done reasonably well but haven't quite lived up to their reputation completely. Mm-hmm. So those guys are a wee bit stressed yeah. because I haven't quite shown um, what, what I did two years ago or even at the under-19 level when I got singled out because well, I did without the walk. I haven't gone further. Yeah, And we've just had an opening batsman who, who who's not with the team at the moment. But he, he's, he, he did well a couple of years ago but struggling. We've also got the players who are just still at their level and we can't understand them. And De Grandhomme, I'm sorry, I'm not going to mention names. Here we go, De Grandhomme. But we we can't really understand where he is. Because he can be the – he can look like the best player in the world yeah. on one day. Yeah. This seems to be a New Zealand cricket trait. I've often talked about New Zealand cricket like an abusive relationship because they they, they – I, I, I'm like, I can't – like I haven't watched the last couple of 2020s. I've flicked. But – you know, that stretch we had where they were going really well, I, I fall in love with them again, not just because they're winning, because it's beautiful to watch, they're having fun, it's a good time, and then all of a sudden they start beating me over the head. Like that trip to Australia was just heartbreaking, you know. Um, and I do feel for them a little bit because 
we were supposedly the number two test team in the world. But I strongly believe there should always be an asterisk beside that because Australia were depleted from some bannings. So it wasn't necessarily a true ranking. And I think that was what got shown up. Oh, quite often the public don't understand. I mean, uh, we, we, we once went to Australia 1980 or 81 and we had those tri-series, India and Australia and us, and the next year England, Australia and us. And we, we played pretty well. We, we really did way above ourselves. I mean, yep. well, put it this way, Richard and one or two others played really well and we, yeah. just, we, we had to have 11, we for the ride. We had 11 <laughs> people on the field. But when we got back to New Zealand, we, we were sort of like heroes, you know, yeah. the underarm because that yeah. played into our hands a wee bit. Were you, did you play in that game? Was that you? No, I wasn't, I, I wasn't playing in that game. No, no right. but I was there on that on that tour. Okay. Um, but anyway, we go, we came back from that tour as, yeah. as national heroes because probably because of the underarm. But strangely McKechnie, enough, eh? was he they facing? only had half a team. We, we only a couple of times we beat Australia in those one day games, but. Um, Packer had taken – we actually played against Australia C, yeah. but the public didn't understand that. And the same thing can happen, you know, with, with teams now. I mean, the Australian team doesn't always have its top team. India has just lost a couple of players. You know, they're going to go home, and we're probably going to do well, and we're going to forget the fact that yeah, their yeah. best players aren't there. But the New Zealand team have got those youngsters. They've got the players who haven't quite made it. They've got the players who can't understand because of the selection um, – problems. They don't know whether they're batting at four or they're batting at six or am I going to bowl into the wind or am I going to bowl at all? Mm. That's the de grand homme. And then you've got the other players at the top, some of them being injured and I think the New Zealand team I'll make this point, I think we lose a hell of a lot at practice in the dressing room and on the field when Trent bolts not there. I was thinking that through the series. Where is, is he injured oh, at the moment? He's, or is he's, not, the, he's okay. coming back. He's coming back. So he's injured that they would be selecting for the T20s. Yeah, he's been, he's, been, right. he's been injured. And I think it just shows you Bolt how... Bolt and Salvi are world-class together. Salvi by himself with anyone else seems to be Looks down a bit a of a loner. Yeah. That's, that's right, he does too. Because the way those two bowl in tandem yeah. seems to complement one another against batsmen. But I think, I think also the Bolt-Salvi um, thing helps the Taylor... Williamson thing at the top of the at the top of the team, you right? Know? Because because people are, I mean, Brendan McCullum made comments as well about you know the, the Williamson thing is is he still got the the urge to captain New Zealand? Well, mm. I don't know whether we should say that, but I, I think he probably has. But when when the captain's left alone, and, and I don't think Taylor has an awful lot to do with things on the field. He doesn't appear to be mm-hmm. uh, particularly vocal on the field. Well, the captain can be exposed. Yeah. But, but if you've got three senior players with you and you're working as a little senior team as a, as a group. Yep. It's, it's the same with Tom Latham. I, I think well, he doesn't play this, this version of the game, but when he's there, he's a senior player now. Mm. So it's another voice, you see. So so you find that Williamson probably captains better when everyone's there. It doesn't mean to say their performance overall is going to be good. Yeah, yeah. But I think he feels more comfortable when he's got his mates around It's him. a bit like um, kind of running a company with a board rather than just yeah. a CEO doing everything. Because I think about the seniors, I think about in those teams, I'm like um, Salvi, Williamson, Taylor. Yeah. And they're often the one, or mind you, Taylor's normally in the slips, but you often see Salvi and and Williamson chatting together about, yeah. about you know, obviously tactics and bowling and field position and that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it, it, it took a long time for some of those players to learn to do that yeah. because that, because they possibly well, – no one, no one comes into the team as a senior player, so it takes quite a bit of your own performance and, and, and your longevity in the team means you become a senior player. But they've got a good senior group mm. if, they're all, if they're all available, and that makes it easier for the young guys as mm-hmm. well, whereas – you do notice sometimes, and I, I, I watch on TV, and I think, 
why is he saying you, know, you see you can see the young guys having ideas on the field and I'm, a lot of people say that's really good I, I still like the you serve your apprenticeship sort of thing so, Come so do you team. mean do you mean young fella shut up and do what you're told? Yeah, almost? Well, well, sort of. I yeah. mean, yeah. If a player's, if a bowler's gone for, I don't know, a couple of fours and a two off the first three balls of an over, most of these bowlers have got an idea that things aren't going that well. You you don't need someone calling out from mid wicket yeah. or, or waving his arms from so you know. The, I, I like the I like the younger players still serving their time. Yeah, and and, and uh, it's like they don't get to sit in the back of the bus until they've reached a very. Well, you're not you're, those level. days are gone, thank okay. God. But 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 but, I was, but things like, um, and I don't know why I think this way. I, I think the best players are mm. the ones who fail for a while. Right, come into the team, score your seventy, blast seventy, and have, you get in the media for a, for a day. Uh, get get twenty four next innings. Have your team win. Feel part of it. It's actually quite good. The, some of the guys who last the longest in in sport have actually been dropped after a certain time, and right. they've realised what they missed. Right, and they've had to readjust, come back oh, better away, than ever. Go away, work yeah. hard, and that's why an injury sometimes is quite good for players, right? Because it lets them realise that. Oh, now I understand why his the other guy who was injured. I never thought about him again. But you get injured yourself and, and find that you miss out on a tour mm-hmm. or you miss out on some games, mm-hmm. and you realise what you're missing and what you love the most. That's why you play the game. You love the game. You want to be out there playing, and that's why I think it's quite good for some players to fail two or three times and then get left out. Because mm. when they come back the next time, they cherish it a bit more, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm really interested to hear, uh, just because it's such an iconic piece of New Zealand history, you were in the squad for the for the underarm game, but not on the field. Is that what you're saying? You yeah. were on that tour? Yeah. Can you tell me about, like, obviously, now it was McKechnie who was batting? Brian McKechnie was facing. Oh, look, here we go. Let's have a, let's oh, have, have a look. Let's Trevor's have a little bit. A young, Trevor, a young Trevor Chapel. And Chapel was the bowling. youngest of the three. Adventures. But he's not the captain, eh? His brother no, was no, the captain? Yes, Greg, Greg was the captain. Yep. Ian, Ian had retired. Yep. So and when are we? What year are we? 80, 83, 84? Yeah. Is that what this year is about? 83? Before, uh, before that, 81. Oh, was it that? I don't Brian McKechnie, who hadn't hit a six in club cricket for about five years. Yeah. And, that and even the crowd. So this is, this is at the, which is it SCG? Which Melbourne. Melbourne. Melbourne, okay, MCG. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Edgar. Uh, Edgar. Carried his bat right through the innings. Obviously, I, I heard a story about Bruce Edgar that um, his his hand. He didn't quite have his hands right on his bat. John Wright. I oh, was that right. And they Wright. stuck his glove yeah, to it. And then Stephen Bock did the same thing. And then he he knew he'd have a good innings. Then he came in with a swollen ankle or something because he was staying nice and close to his pad. <laughs> anyway, I want to. I really want to know because obviously these guys came off the field and you would have been in the in the changing rooms. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Tell me what what what's happening. Tell me the feeling. Tell me the vibe. Tell me the words. Right. The, I think I think we had to score something like five runs to, to win the game. So McKechnie had to hit a six. So and and Greg Chappie was under tr- terrible pressure in those days in Australia to be the Australian captain must have been the best thing, proud, but also the worst thing. Yeah. They're, they're at you the whole time. He was tired. He wasn't that well. They desperately needed to win the game. They'd lost a, a, a close game uh, earlier on. Yeah. So he, he said, bowl under arm. Brian McKinney said, there he is, saying, what do you mean, bowl under arm? What are you talking about? 
They can't be right. Rod, uh, Rod Marsh saying, no, don't yeah, do it. Yeah, he was, don't he was not there. Because that's the thing, don't eh? do it. Part, of the, part if not most of the Australian team was like, nah, this is not, you literally, literally, this is not cricket. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Trevor Chap was saying, I'm lucky to be in this team. Because yeah. he was lucky to be in the team. He right. wasn't a certainty. He wasn't, he didn't have a long career. We didn't have a long one after this. Um, and, <laughs> and thinking, how am I going to do this? So he bowls underarm. McKechnie rightly just blocks. I mean, people dream up things. He could have flicked it up off his foot and hit it for six. Colty couldn't hit the ball to the boundary on the best of days. So yeah. it was quite a good response from Colty. It was just throw the ball away, meaning I'm disgusted, we'll walk off. Bruce Edgar, had, had, as I said, he, he'd opened the innings, so he'd batted right through. He got a ton, 102 or something, did yeah, I say? Yeah, and that was basically the end. You'll see, I think, Jeff Howarth rightly uh, goes onto the field to – What's the word? Remonstrate with the with the umpires, which is too okay. late. I mean, hold on, this is where they stop and say, hold on, we might, we might. And that's Marshy saying, sorry, boys, sorry. that was not cricket. Jeff Howell saying, what on earth? We've never heard of this in our lives. And the umpire, quite rightly, saying, it's in the rules. Yeah. It, it, I mean, everyone now can say, well, that's ridiculous. But the ridiculous things have happened in sport and they learn from ridiculous things and that's why they change the rules. Well, it's a bit like, I mean, it's not that it's necessarily the same kind of sportsmanship, but there was a while that, in Australia did it as well, John Eels at the rugby, they'd lift him in front of the goalposts oh, to yes, try and they, catch, yes, they did, and yes. then because it was in the rules, and then the next year it wasn't allowed well, the, because they changed the rules. Or the netball girls who who, who lifted the, yeah. to, to put the ball in the... In yeah, the, yeah. Anyway, that was, the, that was the New Zealand team. And what happened in the dressing room yeah, was quite us. interesting because it was like you could see there the, the players were stunned, the Australian yep. fielders were stunned, and two batsmen out there were stunned, and the two umpires probably didn't show it, but mm. they thought, what the hell's going on? But in the dressing room, I remember uh, people in the dressing room were having a cup of tea, watching the end of the game. They've had their bats. I yep. mean, it was a gentleman's game still. Yeah, yeah. Well, the cup, the cup hit the wall, the concrete wall, and it just absolutely shattered, and, and pieces of crockery flew all <laughs> over the room. Guys, there was, the language was just out, out of control. And it was like we were, when I say stunned, but we we're also angry mm. immediately. And it seemed like such a big thing. It was, we cannot believe it, that dirty boat. I mean, the, the words were worse than that. Mm. Um, someone came in from Australian cricket to apologise. This is perhaps 10 minutes after the game. Like management level sort yeah, of thing? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, like okay. the chairman. I, yeah. God only knows what his name was. But um, And there were things like, you know, go away, yeah, you're the, just like it. Worse words. And it was funny because I can think back now, and I, I think it was all sort of over in half an hour, really. Right. It became a huge thing back here, Mr Muldoon, talking about they're aptly dressed in yellow and all this. <laughs> and then when we got home, we were heroes because they cheated. They cheated against us. When you think about it, as I said before, Coldy was never going to hit it for six. Even if he'd bowled a normal ball, he was never going to hit it for six. It's a bloody big boundary in Melbourne. So it was so unlikely you could ever hit that ball for six. It's just... It's funny how the, the country got onto it because the country supports, always do, underdogs, don't they? Yeah. We were talking about that before yeah. because the Auckland rugby, you know, that's yeah. the thing. We support anyone down Anyone playing Auckland. Yeah. Yeah, because we're actually the under, most of them are always underdogs. Yep. So this is Canterbury. And, and 
the, the country got right in behind it. The players had lost it uh, completely. It had gone from our minds. It wasn't a big thing. Oh, really? Okay. No, it was. It was, it was like, apart from being patted on the back when you came in through the airport, mm. yeah, our heroes. We lost, for God's sake. Yeah. But our heroes. You and know. you lost with the team you were opposing technically playing within the rules. Yeah. Yeah, it's it wasn't it wasn't as big a thing in the players' minds mm-hmm. until, of course, when you get home to your hometown, and people would say, "Oh, you poor, they cheated against you." you, you somehow it built you back up again. Yeah, yeah. It gave you attention. Well, that's what yeah. it really was. And, and when you're a young sports person, in most cases, you like the attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're playing the game, it's a funny thing. You don't like to admit it at the time, but. When you're retired, you have time to reflect on these things. I think we all liked a wee bit of attention. Mm. We like to go uh, to the supermarket and, and, and from the oh, do you think that's Warren Lee's over there? I think it is, Mum. Kids, can I have an autograph, that's that sort of thing? And, and, and you, you might make out when you get home, oh, God, I'm not going back to the supermarket, dude, because there's always <laughs> but someone. You, but then you go, oh, I forgot the butter. I better sit back I'll, down I'll again. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes when you're that age, you're almost disappointed <laughs> mm. if you go to the pub or the supermarket or, or the movies and no one recognises you. You think, what the hell, have they forgotten me? You know, it's a, it's, it's a bit so of the a underarm kind of gave you guys, uh, raised the profile it even sort of more did. so. Yeah, yeah, it did. What about like the, like, you said you guys kind of forgot it. Um, but what about the next time you played Australia? Was there a little something more no. there or was no. literally completely gone? No, I, I think it was gone. I think um, when, as we mentioned before, when Southland played Auckland or Otago played Auckland at rugby, yeah. one team was the little brother and one was the rich big brother, right, yeah. the older brother. And whenever we played Australia, even if we'd beaten them the day before, yep. I think we were still the little brother. That's probably a part of the reason it resonated so much because not only did we have a chance technically, yeah, we, we of beating in. the big brother, yeah, yeah. they then played dirty yeah. within the rules. Like, it makes me think you get, um, you know, you can have a ruling in cricket now which is bringing the game into disrepute, even something that's within the rules. Do you Did anything like that happen to Australia? Did they actually get any kind of slap on the wrist? Because whilst it was within the rules, oh. it was pretty, it was pretty, yeah, it was, it was yeah. pretty ugly. Yeah, I think the Australian public, yeah. cr- cricket public in, in general really, um, disliked what they saw. Mm. There, were, there were the occasional people, ha, 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 that was good. <laughs> of course, there were, you'd always get that. There were a few of them in the pub yeah. would say that. But, you know, I, I think it, it, it had a it, it had a telling blow on the, on the Chapel family. I'm, I'm pretty wow. sure of that. I mean, Trevor Chapel, um, he's still, they, they still mix. Brian McKechnie and Trevor Chapel still right. they, Wouldn't they be great to have them both in the same place at, yeah. a, at a function and, and have them speaking? So you can see how it, it, it made something for Brian McKechnie over the years, I guess, and even Bruce Edgar, who was batting with him. Yep. I, I certainly made the most of it when I was talking at the <laughs> local Lions Club or something. I mean, it gave me something to fill in five minutes. And then people in the audience, did they really? You know, things like that. They go, ooh, we didn't know. Who who threw that cup you were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, it's sometimes you, you sort of wonder whether, whether you can cover things up from the public. I mean, so we sort of led it on a wee bit. I mean, yeah, okay. The interview when you played you, up to it a bit. Yeah, a little bit like that. So when, when you get back and someone wants to interview you, and they, they talk about that. They, of course, you wanted them to say, what about the underarm? Yeah. Because that, that, that made it. Made so what, sort of so what you're saying is I have fallen into your well-timed trap. 
Why are you asking you about it? A little bit. It doesn't matter. It's <laughs> such a, it's, the thing is with it is it's such an infamous story. It is part of folklore yeah. now because, you know, I played cricket as a youngster and even playing a bit of BYC, you know, at, with well, your mates. People say. N- no, no matter what, you know, every yeah. game, there'll be at least somebody say, oh, don't be an Aussie now, now Aussie bowler. Yesterday. You know, something about like, you know, that. Yesterday here in Dunedin, you know, Masters Games, yep. all right? Yesterday here in Dunedin, I went out to the St Kilda Bowling Club to present some medals and make a wee bit of a talk about the Masters Games and yep. how wonderful it is. And I said, is there anyone here, by the way, from Australia? And I wasn't thinking about the underarm. And so, to a few hands, I said, well, we're not going to talk about cricket, knowing the way we're playing at the moment and we've just been beaten in, in Australia. And it was just a wee comment. And a guy stood up with a $2 coin and rolled it underarm <laughs> and rolled it underarm to me. Well, of course, I picked it up and put it in my pocket and said, I'm not giving it back. But the underarm is just famous. And the other thing that a lot of people forget, Brian McKechnie was the lead person in the underarm as far as New Zealand goes. Yeah. He was the guy that kicked the goal mm. in in uh, in England. Uh, it might have been in Wales, I think. I'm not sure. When Andy Hayden jumped out of the lineout. Yeah. And I mean, two good, of the things. Good that for are, the goose. Oh yeah, but, but amazing thing that um, Brian McKinney was the person there both times, and yet he was a very very unassuming rugby player, and he was a a, a one day player specialist in 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 cricket. Yep. Never really a lead player at, at either sport. But he was there on those two occasions. Hilarious. Um, it is. It is. You know, folklore as JC yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, the current squad. What are your thoughts? I mean, the thing that one of the things that excited about um, you coming in was you have the experience of being there as a player and also as a coach. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm, I'm interested that you. It seems like you're kind of do a little bit here and there these days, live in central Otago, help out sort of the locals, local kids is what I'm reading, do a little bit of here and there, but you're not really that much involved in cricket now as you no. were, which surprises me because, you know, you're still a young man comparatively, <laughs> but you could still be <laughs> doing, I mean, you could still, you could still be coaching yep. to an elite level. You could still be involved in, you know, developing, you know, those under 19s we've just been talking about. Why do you choose to kind of, you know, chill up in central helping, Love helping it. the young fellas rather than, you know, heading off to London with the under 19s or, or coming into Dunedin and coaching, uh, you know, Otago or those sorts of things. I'll try and keep this short for you, but when I finished playing, yep. um, with New Zealand, and I, uh, how do I put it? I jumped about half an hour before I was pushed, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, so I had a bad knee, and I had a, and Ian Smith was playing better than me, and we'd been to, a, uh, to England, and it was like, oh, I can't play anymore anyway, and I'm not going to get another tour. I can't squeeze any more out of this. So I got out. Played another couple of years for Otago until it got to the stage where my knee was. In fact, I we kept a whole a whole day in Wellington without pads mm-hmm. because I just could not crouch down. Wow. I mean, so I gave it up, and then ended up only two years later watching the Warriors at home on TV one Sunday afternoon when they rang up and said, "Would you like to coach New Zealand?" And I <laughs> that's an interesting phone call. And I it was an interesting phone call. Did the crockery get thrown against the wall yeah. that one as well? <laughs> what the but hell? It was, <laughs> but it was one of those things, and I I sort of asked, you know, why do you want me? And mm. Typical of New Zealand cricket, they said, "Don't worry, you're not the first person we asked. <laughs> Quite a few have turned us down." So I did that for uh, three seasons, and, yep. and I was so so lucky, I really was um, to to have Martin Crow. I mean, I, I just I, I just used to pinch myself that here am I, average cricketer at an international level, below mm. average probably, but now coaching the New Zealand team and having Martin Crow as my captain because I just 
was astounding. I, I just couldn't believe. I said to him, I don't know how long I'm going to have this job and I don't know how long you're going to be captain, but when we're together, we'll meet at half past six in my room every morning. And you know, for three seasons, he never missed a meeting. Wow. He was on time and he was there at every single meeting. And no one else knew we had these meetings. Okay. Not even the players knew that we had these meetings. But it was my way of saying to Martin, you need to direct me. Right. But he, I didn't say those words. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And therefore I became uh, pretty close to Martin in that, in that time and understood things pretty well. Obviously, you know, we, we had the World Cup and… 92? 92 and, 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 and Hogan scored the runs. One of the irony and, about… Um, the 92 World Cup as I actually I remember being in Eden Park watching when we were playing Australia and their run rate kept going up and up yeah, and up yeah, and yeah. up and the crowd chant was look at the scoreboard look at the scoreboard mm-hmm. but I remember we lost to someone it might have been to Pakistan and that knocked Australia out yes. in the 92 and I remember one of the Australian players going well they've got us back for the underarm then like you know they can't mm-hmm. complain anymore basically saying New Zealand threw that game to knock us out yeah it was an interesting tour in the Wilkins. Any truth to that? Any truth to that, Clive? No, no, I'll tell you what, New Zealand, New Zealand no, no, there was no gambling on the game or anything. No, yeah. no. no. We, we were lucky at the World Cup. I mean, we, we went through a fantastic stage. Paddy Greatbatch made himself a... Unbelievable. A household name forevermore. And running down the wicket at the fast bowlers and even opening in the, in, in the one-day games, which he didn't expect. It was a great team to coach because we had a good mixture. We had the young Chris Cairns, the young uh, Chris Harris. We had some average cricketers who were, who were squeezing the best out of themselves. Good. They, they probably don't mind me saying this, but Willie Watson and, 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 and Gavin Larson... Um, Rod Latham, Dipak Patel. Well, I was going to ask you about about Rangi because I, I, who decided because Rangi was opening. Deepak was opening at times, wasn't he? Opening the bowling. He opened in the first game. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so that and that to me, from my knowledge, was like a world first because the commentators the world over was going, "What well, the crap is happening here? Why haven't they got their fastest bowlers out there?" And that's now something you see echoed, especially in T20, the world over. Tell me about using spin to open for that World Cup because, as I, as I say, I, I think that's probably either you or Martin or you and Martin together or someone started a new way of doing cricket. Yeah, we did. We did. And, and you can look back on one-day cricket uh, around the world and uh, two years after that, the Sri Lankans came out with some opening batsmen who had never been seen before, and they they changed world cricketers the way the way they wanted to bat. You see mm. what I mean? And and Sri Lanka went from the about the sixth team in the world to the second team very quickly. We discussed it two or three days before the game. Yep. And Ross Dykes was involved as well. Martin Crow and myself, and we were never going to beat Australia when we matched their number one with our number one, right. their number seven with our number seven, their father, you know, we were losing. We were losing. Most of the way down, they were going to, eight of their players were, were, were A players and only three of our players made the team, if you understand yeah. what yeah, I mean. Yeah. So we had to match them up and we were thinking, well, you, therefore you've got to look at your tactics. And there were a lot of different ways of doing it, but we wanted to do something that was going to stamp a style on the on, on our, we, we, we didn't know we were going to win. Yeah. but. And it was, it was quite a strange thing because we didn't all agree for a start. And to be fair, I've always believed in this. When you're on a committee, when the decision's made, you never, ever talk about individuals of a committee. Right. Because your job is to be a, a team together, three people. So you never say party A thinks this, party B So I'm not going to tell you that. now, right. and, and, and neither would I ever, yep. about who was for it, who was against sure. it. But the three of us got together and, and it took some debate. Yep. 
but it also took a little bit of desperation. And I mean, it was almost like saying, we're going to lose. And then it was, no, we don't want to lose. How, could how we can pos- we win? How can we drag it out yeah, or, yeah. or how can we win and set something up for a bit, what was going to be a big crowd at Eden Park? We knew that. We knew yeah, it was yeah. going to be a big crowd. So there was a bit of hype about it. And I don't even know whether Dipak was 100% behind it. But, <laughs> but he was possibly of the same sort of mind thinking, I'm not even certain I'm going to get in this team. Right. I'm only just on the on the edges of this team, you know. That's sort of, so he'll be saying, "I'll take whatever you give me, that's coach. What, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll yeah, lift yeah. arm if you want me to. That's <laughs> a, not, not quite, but but it was a it was a move that I tell you a, a wee story about it. Ian Galloway, yep. famous, you know, probably our most famous ever commentator, came from Dunedin, still still lives in Dunedin, and I rang him in the in the morning. And I possibly shouldn't have done this. I was probably being a wee bit cheeky, but I said, I've got something for you. Right, a bit of goss, something, a leak. It's, it's a leak. Right. And, and Ian, I, I owe you this for being loyal to me over the years and being a family friend and entertaining the Otago cricket team at your house. And, and yes, Warren, what would it be? There's the way he spoke, you know. No, he's, he was Mr Galloway to me all his life and, mm-hmm. and still is. Um, so I told him that Dipak Patel was going to open the bowling and he said, well, thank you. That but, was it. But do you know, I could never use it. He was so, wow. honestly, he was so traditional and honest and straight. He said, I could never use that. Even though you've told me something and, and I know that I could be the first in the world to break this news in, in the, you know, full runner before the game and, and say, oh, I've got an idea. I, I, I could just put it there. I, I've heard from sources within the team. Yeah, and, and, and he said I could never use it. But thank you for giving me that information. I've, I've, always, wow. I've always thought for Have you ever asked him why? No, I, I, I believed in what he said then. No, I, I'll commentate the game the way I see it. I'll yeah. give my own personal ideas. And, and so far it's got me through the last 30 years of commentary. It'll, it'll continue. You know, I always admired the man for that. Right. And I, I probably was a little bit disappointed in myself for doing it. Later yeah. on, I learned lessons from it too. But anyway, that was, that was the World Cup. And the World Cup was an exciting time. And so the three of you, the, the committee got together and decided this, that worked – in the tournament, do you see anyone else mimicking you, or did that? Because, like I said, that's changed cricket, like to, to this day, especially twenty twenty. Did anyone else mimic you? Did anyone else think, well, this is a bit new? We'll try this as well, or was it just the the, the oh, Kiwis? Think, it was think, the young guns, then, wasn't it? it? Wasn't the black cap? It was the young guns? The young guns. The young I, was, guns. I was part of the young guns. Can you imagine <laughs> how embarrassing that was? Um, uh, and 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 the reception was genius stroke, or was the reception holy no. crap? What are they doing? No, I mean, well, I mean it worked. So yeah, no, you, you're right. Initially, it was holy crap. What are they doing? Yeah. When, when Dipak's marking out his run up, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and and after two or three overs, wow, you know. It was, but it was born out of desperation, and and quite often good ideas can come out of desperation. But yeah. you've just got to make sure your your teams. Now that was a very very easy team to coach. Yeah, because the youngsters were just so honest and enthusiastic, and it was almost like follow us. Yeah. We go even if we go down a dead end street, we'll all turn around and come back out together. We won't make comment. We'll just follow. It was a bloody good team. I mean, not great players, mm. but we were all mates. It was it was like we did some funny things together. And I always used to think if I asked that team to go down the harbour and jump off the wharf, mm. fully clothed, and yeah. then get out, I reckon they'd have done it. 
And I mean, not because they, they, they respected me. That was that sort of group we had. Every night we used to play stupid Auckland games, spoofing with, you know, three coins, two coins or yep. one coin. And we used to go to the bar and have a couple of drinks. And and, and it was just so much fun. And Ian mm. Smith was the spoofing champion. I used oh, really? to think, how does he do it every day? How does he win every night, <laughs> you know? But it was a, a good fun. Oh, of course, it's more fun when you win. Yeah, of course. And there were some players in that team had never had this before. Getting off the plane in Napier, I remember standing back, and the, there weren't that many in, in, in the airport, but they stood and they clapped for the New Zealand team. Yeah. And then people like Murphy Sewer, they were hitting him on the back and asking for autographs, and, and these guys would go, oh, I've never had this before. It was sort of something like, it was quite surreal really, because you, you couldn't dream about that sort of thing happening, because we were, it was only two weeks before, we were nothing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, just for a brief time, we were something. And you can look back and think, okay, we lost the semi-final and Inzaman al Haq and um, uh, Java Mandad scored some runs and Martin some Crow big was, names there. Yeah, uh, uh, Martin Crow was injured and couldn't field. We didn't have a captain. We righty was captain, so we got mixed messages. Yeah, and, yet, yeah. and, when, and yet when Martin had been on the field in all those other games, when the captain said, "Well, not jump," but if, you know oh, what I mean? How they, high? Yeah, they were a hundred. They were a hundred percent behind. So that was a good experience. So as someone who has been the New Zealand career captain, yeah. do you have an opinion? Uh, coach. Sorry, coach. But I felt like I was captain yeah. sometimes, yeah. <laughs> um, do you have an opinion on why the New Zealand cricket team never seems to have done that last hurdle? Like to me, yeah. one of the things that I was pretty devastated about the boxing day test match whilst I knew we were underdogs and all that but it was just the performance wasn't even it was there and and like you know uh, Brennan McCullum's black caps making it to the final of the cricket world cup and there just seems to be something within New Zealand cricket and I maybe it's just circumstance and maybe it'll change but that last hurdle we just never seem to make that last hurdle life is like that yeah and I mentioned before that when Otago played Auckland Mm -hmm. or when Warren Lees played for New Zealand Otago weren't quite ready to play Auckland because it was a life change. It was it was it was getting on the plane and staying staying in a really smart hotel, which we didn't have in Dunedin. Right. So therefore, immediately you felt a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. And the Auckland players, as I said, arriving in their convertible cars, blonde wife, uh, cravat, <laughs> old spice sponsorship. Cravat, because that came straight from the 1960s. High <laughs> 1960s, are calling. It just used to amaze me. But you could see the faces of the Otago. Or Warren Lee's going to play in a test match. Yeah. So thrilled when the team came out. The day of the game, I was pooing my pants. <laughs> I, I hadn't slept the night before. I get on the plane. It's a big six-seater. I hadn't even been on, on a plane that had six seats across it before. Right. And I'm sweating. And I'm thinking I'm going to pass out on the flight. I'm only going to practice. <laughs> and the same thing happened, you say, about the New Zealand team not, not getting across the line sometimes. Just that last hump. Right. So Warren Lee's playing for New Zealand, Otago playing Auckland. Now you think about it, New Zealand playing the West Indies. Yep. Especially in the 80s. Exactly the same feeling. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, Joel Garner, yeah, Andy Roberts, all, all these guys, you know, Colin Croft going to run into the umpire, yeah. different <laughs> things. But quite often, the New Zealand team actually lost confidence because of what they were get, what they were going to encounter. Right. And so it's a confidence thing. Oh yeah, we we learnt in, in in the years I was playing, and it wasn't me. Don't worry, I wasn't good enough. But we learnt to almost bully Sri Lanka, a new team into international cricket. Right? Not anymore. No, no, but we, <laughs> we but we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we we played 
very, very well against Australia. See, as I told you before, yeah. we occasionally played very well against India who could not travel away from home. They were yeah. poor travellers. So when they came to New they Zealand... They liked their own pitches, eh? Yeah, we, and and yeah, they yeah. liked their own food. They yeah, liked yeah. their own customs, all those sort of things. So we could play well against certain teams. But, but on the big stage, we were always going to struggle, and we always will... Numbers-wise, we'll always struggle. But we're always going to struggle. We had to bring our A team. Everyone in the in the 11 had to bring their A game playing against Australia. We had Richard Hadley. Mm. We had Glenn Turner. We had Martin Crowe. Now, I don't think in 20 years' time we'll be able to remember who else we had. Because we didn't... Jeremy Coney? We didn't, yeah, we didn't quite have enough. I, when I was coaching, I always used to talk to Martin about the number of our players who are internationally respected by right. every opposition. Yeah. Because that tells you how good your team's going to be. We only had two or three who were internationally respected by all the opposition, meaning meaning he's a good player. If they were, if they were discussing the New Zealand team, and it was yeah. England, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'd sit down sometimes with Hogan... I'll say, how many players will England really be looking at? And he would say, oh, four or five. That And that hasn't actually changed. Because no. I'm thinking about this. I mean, I've, you'd probably put Trent Bolton there when he's healthy. Yep. But certainly um, Taylor and Williamson. Yes, their record speaks for itself. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And who else? What do you see? Would Southie be, by the, I'm talking about by the world cricket, would he be considered that or not? I don't think they'd worry about him. I mean, but Trent is, is, Bolt? Worry about Trent yeah, Bolt? Yes, they would. Yeah. So there's your three. Yeah. So so what I hear you saying, and forgive me for paraphrasing, is um, we don't have the skills. Like When we've got our three world class against every other team, these big teams, with their six world yeah. class, that, that's the reason we're not getting over the hump. Well, yeah, uh, but we haven't experienced. Uh, to get in the New Zealand team, you've probably got to score, say, five centuries within New Zealand first. Yep. In Australia, how many do you have to score? Yeah, like 10 or 20. Oh, yeah, 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20, right. So so you're ex- uh, our, our first-class cricket, and even the players who play first-class cricket admit this, even yeah. though New Zealand cricket doesn't like to say, yeah, yeah. anyone to say, it's not strong. It is not strong. And and we've got too many players who have been selected for New Zealand having scored four yeah. first-class centuries or one five-wicket bag. In a, in a I mean, Raval's one of those players, isn't he? Exactly. Because, I mean, when he first started on the international scene, it was like, oh, this this could be something, oh, exactly. and then it seems to have not been. Well, I mean, still uh, to come, hopefully, long career, but at the moment. Yeah, uh, Rutherford, Hamish Rutherford. Yeah. He started off, you know, Heap of runs, but they sort them out, don't they? They, they sort once, out. Yeah, once the opposition team knows yeah. that they don't like it on their toes on leg stump or whatever. Exactly. They, and they, it takes a little while for the opposition teams. But when one opposition team learns how to bolt here, yep. you can guarantee the other teams know as well. I wonder at this last point about the over the hurdle thing. Um, and then this, we go, I know we're going to have to wrap up shortly because you've got other things to do. But um, I. Let's forget about the last Rugby World Cup. <laughs> but the one before, I was talking to Martin Devlin. I was actually talking to him as a, like a talkback caller yeah. on his radio show. And he was talking about, oh, I'm so nervous about this game against Australia, the final. And I phoned up and I said, um, look, if we play to the best we can and Australia plays Just ba- below. badly, they lose. If, well, sorry, if we play the best we can and Australia plays as best they can, we win. Yeah. If we play averagely... And Australia plays as best they can. We probably still win, but it will be close. We have to play really poorly, and Australia has to play the best they can for them to win. Mm. I think what I hear you saying on some level is in the cricket scenario, we're Australia in the rugby scenario. Yeah, we have, we to, have to play as best we can, and probably for that final hump, we're talking the final of the Cricket World Cup, probably the other team has to play an average to bad game. So what I'm also trying to say is you don't have to worry about your 
Williamson and your Taylor yep. and your Bolt. Yeah. Because they're your best players yep. and they are day in, day out, they're probably going to give you good performances. Yeah, right? yeah. You don't have to worry about your youngsters, your, your two youngsters in the team, whether they be a spin bowler or a, or a, a medium pace or whatever. You don't worry about them because they're learning their trade. Yep. You do have to worry so about... So there's three or four in the middle. Your, your players in the middle... That the Gron Holmes were talking who, about. ...who haven't quite given you consistent performances. Yep. Once they give consistent performances, it lifts the whole team. So is that a head thing more primarily or a skill thing? Well, I think I think it's a head thing for the individual, yep. right? Uh, but I also think it's got something to do with the administration of the team. Right. Because they're the players who in their own minds think, I'm not quite up to it. Now, you... No matter what team mm. you've got going on the park, the coach can easily go to that team and say, I don't care what you think individually, I'm the coach of the team and I'm also a selector. I can guarantee that the three of us believe you are the best number four in the country or, or best left arm or whatever. You are the best. Yeah. So get that idea of I'm going to get dropped out of your mind. Get the idea of I'm not up to it out of your mind because we believe you are the best. There is no one else. Now, your whole team has to think that way. Every, I couldn't do it as a player. I could not. I, I could not convince myself that I could go and face Dennis Lilly. I could not. Wow. And, and all the, oh, good. But Dennis all the, Lilly. You know, you know, before you start a rugby game, it's the old rah, rah, hit the first ruck. And if there's three of the forwards not believing that, you don't hit the first ruck. They push you back. And if in a cricket game, if you've got your number five and six and your third seamer mm. – and your part-time spinner, all thinking they can't do it. Mm. Don't you? Don't worry about it. You won't do it because you can't rely. Those top three players I mentioned don't win you the games. One thing I do want to mention, I know we're going to finish, but I loved coaching more than playing. Absolutely. Wow. I thought playing was all you could do in cricket. I was such a proud little fella in South Dunedin when I first got picked to go to Pakistan. I thought this is it. So I had my time. Then when they asked me to coach, I just could not believe – the thrill you get out of coaching and helping someone else. And when I finished with the – I didn't mean to finish. They, they finished with me. I had the opportunity of coaching, carry on coaching, so I coached the women in Dunedin. Right. And a lot of people rang me up and said, why are you doing that? Well, why not? Yeah. All the time I played, I felt guilty that we stayed in hotels and they couldn't even get no target women's cricket team sometimes. I felt guilty. I, I didn't do anything about it. I was selfish probably, young and just looking after me. So the opportunity came up to, to coach the women. It was better, seriously, than some of the other coaching I'd done. And, by, by, and you wouldn't believe how, how lucky someone could be in life. When I coached the men, I coached Martin Crow, mm. who the players voted as the best player briefly at that World Cup, best player in the world, best batsman in the world at that World Cup. And then I went to coach the Otago women's team. I came across Susie Bates again, All who right. I'd coached as a youngster. Yeah. And then I got the New Zealand women's team to take to the World Cup. Now, to coach both national teams and also to have the best men's player and the best women's player and me to have some involvement is like, that, that is just, you could not dream of, of ever having that, being so lucky. So for all the ups and downs and goods and bads, I just think that there was just an amazing. I was, I was just fortunate. It was a yeah. coincidence, but to have those two players and and I, they taught me more than I ever taught them. Yeah. Um, just thinking about that belief thing you were talking about to do with the players, I heard a conversation with Brendan McCullum in the last few months. I don't know where I heard it. I saw it. I heard it. It was on YouTube or on the news, and that belief idea. 
and his belief is something like when he was batting, you had to land the ball on a, a square foot. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, and if you miss that, I'm putting you over the boundary. That was his batting attitude. So that was the belief thing. There's a fair bit of South Dunedin about Brendan McCullough, <laughs> I tell you that. And I... Uh, and he did change New Zealand cricket. He yeah. did change the, the culture of the team. And from a bunch of sport kids, sorry, the, the people may not like me, they became a really – I only meet the t- team because I go out to do the um, pitch with Brian Model. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you know that, that there was a time where they didn't even look at you? They just did their own thing and they were just – they wouldn't even communicate with each other when they were warming up. They never waved to the crowd or anything like that. When Brendan came along, they every time he went out, they came over. The players would shake your hand, good to see you, and get on with the game. They'd they'd be talking to the umpires, friendly, you know. Nice. They would they would smile and they would new, wait. A to new the culture, kids. absolutely. It fantastic. sounds like a new family culture. It is. It, well, why don't we have it? Why yeah. can't we? Because as I said right at the start, you, everyone, even at work, you perform better at work mm. if you're comfortable in your environment. Mm. So you've got to make them – that's the coach's job to make the environment comfortable. I guarantee the environment's not particularly comfortable at the moment in the New Zealand men's dressing room. With those results, I would say that would be a, a right. done deal. Um, before we take off, I just want to have a quick understanding yeah. of, uh, you know, the GOAT in some people's opinions, Sir Richard Hadley, because you obviously had I, an opportunity to be behind the stumps I, for him. I've roomed with him for a long time in Australia. There's sometimes, I don't say criticism of him, but there is people who say if you go back and if you have a look at all those wickets he took, umpires, once he got to this level of excellence, umpires were very friendly with him, especially around LBs. How good was he? How good was he, um, like, on the – because, like, when Sir Donald Bradman died, he didn't name Hadley in his eleven. Was that the right call? Was that the wrong call, in your opinion? Was he one of the greatest of all times, first to 400, et cetera? Yeah, I think he was. And I also think um, it's funny about Richard because a lot of people d- didn't even like the way he he, was, he became rather statistically minded for a while. I, I didn't mind that at all. Mm. I, I room with him a lot in Australia and I tell you what, you wouldn't get a nicer guy. You would not. It was He was fun and he, and he enjoyed the lighter moments, even on the field. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed the lighter moments. He was absolutely sensational as a bowler. But he worked on it on his own game and he knew his own game. Mm-hmm. If you went into a dressing room and all the guys had to lift their lids of their cricket bags, right, and there were, say, 12 people in the dressing room, 11 of the bags would be very, very untidy, I promise you. John writes, you wouldn't even know if there was a shirt in there. <laughs> that's why they call him Shake. He just shakes his gear in a way. And, that's the way it's, and some of the gear is all over the place. Richard's bag was prepared. He, right. had a, he had spare studs, he had his boots, he had clean laces, he, his trousers were white and ironed, uh, every, everything was prepared. He, he worked so hard at doing all the little things so that the big things would fall into line, you know. And Take when, care of the pennies and the pounds of luck after the Oh, tails. exactly. And, and, and I, even now I wonder whether we really fully re- realise just what he did for New Zealand cricket. It's, yeah. like, it's like Martin Crowe. I mean, we, too easily we, we have these people on a pedestal and we, we put them there. They didn't climb onto that pedestal on their own. Yeah. We put them up there by saying, we love you, you're such a good player. As soon as they get up there, the first thing we want to do is cut the bloody legs off mm. the pedestal. So, no, he's a great guy. He really is. If there was the DRS back in the kind of, you know, through the mid-80s yeah. and the early 90s, do you reckon he would have taken more wickets oh, or fewer wickets? I take your point now. So I, I forgot that for a moment about yeah, the yeah. umpires. If you were an umpire, yeah. it's much nicer... And you're more likely 
to give someone uh, 50-50 in their favour if they're nice people. Right, really? If the guy has just yeah, abused yeah. you for, in, in the first three days of a test match and said you're the worst umpire of four eyes and you all these things that used to come out in cricket, sledging mm. was great, but... Richard Hadley never said it. He, he was professional. Yeah. He never made any comments when they said not out, and he and he sometimes even smiled when they said no ball. Mm-hmm. And he had a wee chuckle and a wee glint in his eye, and, the, and he could communicate without saying words. He could communicate with the umpires at times, not asking them to cheat. Mm. He accepted things. Mm. If I was an umpire, I would be giving more decisions for that sort of person than for Merv Hughes, who was swearing and cursing and spitting and carrying... I would be the fifty fifties would go against him, yeah, and, and and that's not that's not cheating. That's just the way people are. Yep, we get on better with people who smile at us. Yeah, we get on better in the morning if someone says good morning, how are you? I hope you have a good day. Than the person who looks away, and and that's something that's I mean, have these boring life things, don't I? But. If people don't look you in the eye and say good morning, they're probably going to have a shit day themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I'll give you one. I have a lady in the, in the New World, and, and every morning, I, every time I go to the New World, I say good morning and how are you? And I'm light and I'm, I'm, I'm being, you know, a wee bit loud. But I, and she never, ever looks me in the eye. Oh, Really? And so I go home and I say to my wife, I'm going, do you want something in the new, I'm, I'll go in, I'll go in. She goes, no, no, I'll go in. So I go in again, same lady, I look for the lady, see where she is, <laughs> which, which counter is she on, I'm going there again. I'll give this lady another chance. Now this happened about seven times and I got this lady in the end. One day when she was giving me my receipt, I managed to just hold on to it for long enough and said to her, how's your day going? And you know, she looked me in the eye and she smiled and she said, "I'm sorry. I should have I should have answered you the other day as well." If you keep smiling at people, in the end, they'll smile back. When I talk to um, you know, you phone the phone number for X Y Z company and the telephonist or receptionist yeah. opens, or the it's a bigger company and it's someone offshore or whatever. They go, you know, X Y Z company, and I go, oh, g'day, how you doing today? I, every time I'm like, you having a good day? Yeah. Or and if I hear their name, I get, you know, it's Simon speaking. I say, hey, Simon, how you doing today? Every time, and you always hear them going, kind of go, oh, oh, um, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm all sure. right. What yeah. can we do for you? Yeah. But the, but like you're saying with the umpires, it's I don't do it as a tactic, but it's a way you get much better service. Well, you do, <laughs> you do. It's, it's it's like doesn't matter where you go, the the, the taxi driver. Who, who might on some occasions bore you to tears, but if you engage in some conversation that he's slightly interested in, he's going to lift your bag out of the boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not going to leave you there. I mean, yeah. and, and he's, he's actually going to say thank you when you pay him. I mean, is that not what life's about? We're, we struggle to find positives sometimes, and it's so easy to find negatives. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm at the stage now where I just live a, a ball. Absolute, my wife and I just love being retired in Central Otago. We work when we want to, or when we not so much when we need to. Hopefully, and I don't, I don't have any. I, I can't find any enemies, and I think it's a good way to be. Yeah, perfect way to be. You're here in Dunedin for the Masters Games. Yeah, we've been talking for a, probably an hour and twenty minutes or so. We should probably uh, thank the Masters Games for bringing you and tell them, tell the people a little bit what it's about and what you're doing here officially. Absolutely love it. I I was nervous, and I always am nervous when I you know, say yes to a, a speech, and then. You, you think it's going to be easy, and then the night before you think, "What the hell did I say?" I when I came down here, I thought, "I don't, I don't even know what I do." Ambassador of the games, 
um, Jodie Brown and I, and she's more experienced than I am. And, and nip, nip all around. Yeah, yep. and, and, and much younger and, and probably much easier for the people to have. But they, but not as easy, easy on the eye as you, Warren. I, I can imagine that. But a lot of people, it's like me being in the in the coach of New Zealand, a lot of people must have turned them down before they came to me. But when, <laughs> I, when I got down here, 5,000 people, Masters Games, I've been so far to, in two days to 22 different sports. Wow, cool. I've found everyone smiling, everyone having fun, and people who can laugh at themselves, mm. as we have to do in later life, because you're not going to perform the way you did when you were a 20-year-old. Yep. And I just absolutely loved it. I, I make brief speeches at different places, and I don't know whether they're laughing at me or with me sometimes, but they, they, they laugh, yep. and, and that's important. And I just talk about having fun at the games, and... As I said before, I went to darts, I went to petonk, I've been to curling. Today I've got medals to, to give out at the bowling club. And, the, and it's just fun. And, and you're meeting people who are saying, hey, in a strange way, they don't say it. They, they tell you this in their eyes, the way they look. We're just grateful to be here and yeah. be given the chance of, of still coming down. And not, I don't like the word competing so much because mm. competition's sort of gone out of it for some people. Right. They just want to laugh and have a ball. And in the evening, some of them even, even though they're in their seventies, they believe they're in their twenties, which is a <laughs> which is a mistake for some. Um, and even and even, um, I mean, even accommodation. I brought my caravan down, and I stay on the camping ground to actually be with the Masters games. Oh, people. cool! And it's much better than being in a cold hotel room and going down having a big dinner and all that sort of thing. I've decided that I like to be with the Masters Games, and they come from Australia, they come from the North Island, I don't care where they come from. And each Even morning, Auckland? Do you hear out Aucklanders? I've, I've actually picked, I've, I've, play, I've watched some Aucklanders the other <laughs> okay, day good. playing bowls, okay, and, <laughs> and I put a medal around an Aucklanders Oh, neck. you yeah, almost I, touched one. I know. Well, I more than touched it. <laughs> so, I, no, it's, it's, it's good fun, and yeah. I know we're here for about nine days, and I just think it's a really worthwhile thing. It's a huge thing for Dunedin City. Yep. Um, it's, I, I've, I've learned so many things in just in three days about the way Dunedin – to go to Logan Park, there, there cannot be better facilities anywhere in the country. Yep. And it's great that the City Council and the University work together over that because it's just become such a huge facility for New Ze- for, for all of New Zealand, mm. but in particular for Dunedin. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so what were you saying is if there are other people that want to run other kind of games, that Dunedin would be a good location to do it. <laughs> well, they would be, but with, hey, they're never going to take the Masters game. Or It's it's, it's every second year and yeah. it's Wanganui. Um, I, I just think the things I've... I've found out that the octagon being closed off and I can understand business people in the octagon saying it's going to affect our business well it has it's actually increased it I'd say twofold just since they've had, it's what a great place to be yeah and I was in the octagon this morning and it's a busy place with people walking around and no buses yep. and no trucks no there's there's the the to give credit where credit is due the Dunedin City Council does do uh, particular events well and the first time oh. I, not the first time I saw it but one of the times I saw it was like when Ed Sheeran came to town same thing locked off the octagon became basically a party zone for all yeah. of that Easter weekend and yeah it was good yeah was I, good. I think it's a good place to be you know even though I live in central Otago and I decided to retire there because that's where we had our holiday place and I love it up there I, I seriously do I get a wee bit emotional every time I come back to Dunedin oh. because it's so, such a big part of me nice yeah. um, I hear you talking about wads Occasionally, so if people right. do want to hear from you, is it still a radio sport? Occasional commentary you're doing? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't travel far, so I, I don't even. Alex do and Dunedin, is that about right. it? That's, that's <laughs> Queenstown, if you get a go. Yeah. And even coming to Dunedin, I must admit, I, I 
drive down in the morning and I drive home straight after right. So the socialise, the social part of it's not not so much me anymore. Um, yeah, but I, I, I enjoy doing the radio with Brian Model. And I, he's been a good friend for a long time with yep. me. And I, when I was coaching, we, we toured together. Um, I think he's such a big part of New Zealand sport. And he, when he got his Queen Serv- uh, a, a Queen medal, uh, I thought it was so well deserved. And and they, they're the people who are so often forgotten. Yeah, he didn't buy his award either. I am going to ask you one official interview question. Can I do one interview question, Jase? Just one. Okay. I think there was nineteen or twenty <laughs> international cricket events, men's cricket events, in New Zealand for the summer. I think it was 20 games. Do you know how many days? One was in Dunedin. How do you feel about that? There were 56. I shouldn't admit that I've looked this up because this is a bit of parochialism, really. 56 days of international cricket in the country. Yeah. There were only two days south of Christchurch. One of those days was a T20 doubleheader men and women. Mm Mm-hmm. And the other was that'd be Queenstown then. No, no, Queenstown got nothing. There was, was in, uh, Dunedin. So there's there's only two days in Dunedin during that whole time so out of fifty six days. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. The twenty fourth of March or twenty twenty mm. eighth of March is a Australia New Zealand game here, which is great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that's it. That's right. But when I saw that on the schedule, yeah. I was like, crap. This is this feels not to play like the victim or the little brother too much out of a whole yeah out of two months worth if you add all those days up to have a day and a half or two in Dunedin doesn't seem to be a particularly fair spread. No, and and I, and, and people will probably wonder why I looked that up, but it, it, it's history that makes me think of those things because I think it's an absolute disgrace that um, we're promoting a game like cricket. I, I know it sounds a bit, it could be netball, it could be anything else, yep. but you've got to promote it right around the whole country. But it comes to the, the, the uh, excuse that's always money, you see. There's more people will go Mount Monganui than might go in Dunedin or, or whatever. But to be fair, and fair is a funny word to use in sports sometimes, but to be fair, everyone deserves the opportunity. Yeah. I have one comment to make about money in sport, and it's something that I it sort of hurts me a wee bit or irks me a wee bit. If every all black and every black cap had $20,000 taken off their annual salary, mm. would they still be available for the all blacks and the black caps? I believe they would. The $20,000 you took off, 40-odd people would go a hell of a long way around the country to supply gear for the kids in the little towns on the West Coast or in Taranaki or in Southland or, or wherever. How much money would those kids benefit from by, by having that? That's just a wee thought always. And it's a wee thought to leave people with Warren Lees. Thanks for coming in. Really appreciate your time. It's been a hugely exciting conversation for me, if no one else. Um, so thanks for coming in. It's been a blast. I enjoyed it too. And if you've got nothing to do for the afternoon, I'll keep you going for another four. No, no. <laughs> thanks very much for thanks, having Warren. me. I enjoyed it. Cheers. Alrighty then, um, so later on this week, uh, New Zealand musician Paul Basada will be in studio with us. You may not know the name so well, but uh, in the 90s he was a young fella doing well in the New Zealand kind of pop rock scene. Um, at some stage after that, early 2000s perhaps, he decided that he wanted to be he wanted to move to Spain and he moved to Spain and he's become a world class flamenco guitarist and he comes back to New Zealand every couple of years and brings a tour with him 
and he's going to be into Dunedin this weekend, so we're going to get Paul in, who's a mate of mine as well, so it'll be interesting hearing about uh, the band he used to be in versus what he's doing now, which is going to be fun. And he's in Dunedin with a world champion flamenco dancer as well. So musician Paul Posada will be up later on this week. I've um, got some other podcasts booked, in, including Richie Hardcore, in the next few weeks. If you head to our website, www.thedoc.nz, www.thedoc.nz, uh, our full database of videos are there, and also um, you'll see who's coming up. We have an events page there where once we book someone in, we pretty much put them up on there. So head to the doc.nz and uh, that'll keep you up to date with who's coming up when. And of course, visit us on Facebook, like the page. And if you are listening to this on iTunes in particular, uh, if you would rate and review us, we'd really appreciate it. Those help us with the iTunes algorithms. All righty, my lovely people. Until we see you next time, I will say anon, hey noni noni, and adieu. And uh, hooroo. Hooroo. Hooroo.